Welcome to another episode of the Big Picture Business Podcast. Today, we have another amazing special guest. We're so excited to introduce him. Get ready. This guy, he's a self-confessed geek like we all are. So this is going to be a lot of fun. (laughs) Mike Maynard is here with us today. And Mike is the managing director and CEO of Napier Group a $7 million PR and marketing agency for B2B technology companies. He's a self-confessed geek, like I said, who loves talking about technology. We are all in the right place. He believes that combining the measurement, accountability, and innovation that he learned as an engineer with a passion for communicating internationally means Napier can help clients achieve their marketing goals sooner. So Mike, welcome. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Yeah, so excited you're here. So I know that we talked a little bit about this before we hit record here, but just for the folks listening and watching, I've got to know a little bit more about how you got into your business. I mean, your your background you shared with me. So if you wouldn't mind just uh, sharing a tidbit with our with our audience. Yeah, sure. So I certainly didn't start off my career planning to be in marketing. When I was at school, I wanted to be a mathematician. And then as uh, we were talking about earlier, I tried to get into, you know, the school play, the amateur dramatic side, and I wasn't very good at acting. So I started doing the lighting for the plays. Really enjoyed that. And then we actually ended up building our own lighting deck for the school. And, And that was so cool. I decided I was going to be an electronics engineer. So I then moved into designing electronic systems, anything from radars to mixing desks for recording studios and eventually realized that she wasn't that good as an engineer getting things into production was really tough for me so via a, a couple of jumps in terms of technical support roles um i eventually ended up do, running marketing for an american semiconductor company in europe ran that for a few years then basically ended up going on a course drinking a little bit too much wine and someone telling me that I should run my own business. And that's really how I ended up running an agency. So they were, they were uh, buttering you up, right? (laughs) No, I I think they were telling me they'd never want to be my boss. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I, I love that so many of us, I know for myself, Rory, for you too, like, it's, it's almost like it was a happy accident that we fell into marketing, right? Where you just, you, you see an opportunity and you're like, well, maybe. And then you start going down this path of this is actually really cool. Like, let's learn more. What else can we learn here? And it's always changing. It's like always trying to be ahead of the game or on our toes. At least for me, I feel like I'm always learning something new. So when did you acquire Napier? That's a great question. And that's definitely got a business lesson in itself. So I acquired the company back in April 2001. And the younger listeners won't know this, but the end of April 2001, all the newspapers around the world were full of stories of the dot-com crash. So the one thing you really didn't want to do in April 2001 was acquire an agency that dealt with technology, <laughs> because the only phone calls you got were people cutting their budgets. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Not a solid start to say. Not, not great timing. I, I, I have to say it was. Oh, and, um, and then just give it a few more months, and then what happened? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so we've had we've had quite a few challenges along the way, and and I think that's that's had an interesting impact on the business. I mean, as a business, fairly cautiously. So the business financially is very solid. You know, rather than um, borrowing money, we've got money in the bank, and I think. You know, that's had good and bad impacts on how we've run the business. Hmm. Let's talk a little bit about mistakes in running an agency, because I know for, I mean, I'm sure for you with your vast experience, I know for Rory and myself, 
through these mistakes, like is why we're still here, right? It's like learning from them. Can you share with us the biggest mistake and the best lesson that you've learned thus far with your company? Oh, wow. We've made a few mistakes. We've made, made a few really big mistakes. We've, we've got lucky on a few things going right as well. But I, I think I think for us, actually, the biggest mistake is, is hard to point to. I don't think we've been ambitious enough as a business. And we spent a long time being very cautious, not really being very ambitious. And actually, we've more recently realized that the opportunities to grow are, are, are huge. So we spent a long time you know, staying flat up a bit, down a bit for a few. And to me, it feels like those were years where we could have been growing and could have really set up, you know, an even bigger base for the agency to grow from. So Mm. I I don't think it's one particular mistake, but I think it's, and and as I say, you know, we got burned pretty badly in 2001. That was not a great year. I mean, 2021 was not a great year. 2001 was pretty horrible too. And I think a lot of, uh, a lot of people who, you know, got into business at that time would have probably done the same as us and been very cautious. So it's probably being a little bit too cautious would be my biggest mistake. Not taking enough risks, perhaps, early yeah, on. Yeah, not taking enough risks, not having enough ambition as well. I, I mean, once you've been pummeled with, you know, anything from 9-11 through to the dot-com crash, you know, you, you don't actually have a lot of business confidence. And I think it knocks you back a bit and, and you're maybe pitching for smaller clients and you should be going after and things like that. So that, that's probably, I'd say, the biggest mistake. But, you know, it's got lots of friends. There's, there's certainly been a few other mistakes along the way. When you finally recognized that you weren't being as ambitious as you possibly could have been, was there something that happened, like a turning point for you where you thought, you know what, we just need to start taking some more risks? What, what did that look like? No, and I, and I wouldn't say there was a point where, as a business, we got together and the management team sort of sat down and went, do you know what, we should really go for it. I think it was over a period of time where we realized that actually the company had built enough money in the bank to keep going for probably too long. It was a little bit comfortable. And we realized that actually we had some great clients who were you know, multi-billion dollar companies. And really, we should be pitching for more clients like that rather than clients that maybe were a bit smaller. And and it's not necessarily a measure based upon size of company. It's really about size of budget, size of ambition. So we have some smaller companies that are maybe a few hundred million dollars that are you know, spending almost as much as our biggest client, but it's about pitching for those big opportunities. And I think, I think that came over time, you know, you kind of... Um, pitch for a bigger client, you win it, you suddenly think, well, actually, you know, maybe, maybe we do know what we're talking about. And then it's all about building up your your momentum from there. So I think it took, you know, it took a few years. And obviously, along the way, you know, we've had the financial crisis to deal with, we've had a few, you know, significant bumps in the road. And I think the one good thing is by being cautious, we've had an agency that's very robust and resilient. Yeah, I imagine. I mean, even just looking through your website, I'm fascinated by your four-step process. Can you share a little bit about that? Well, the four-step process is really interesting because you can look at it as being a development from academic research. And there's academic research about PR, for example, that talks about a nine-step process and various other people. There's the the RACI model, all sorts of different approach. But I like to think about it in a very simple way. And it's really a one-stop process and it's stop and think before you actually start executing. And what we saw in the industry, and obviously having been on the client side as well as um, being agency side, is that when a client engages with an agency, it's so easy for that agency just to rush into delivering and trying to you know, execute the tactics. And actually what makes a lot more sense is to just take a breath, take a step back and take 
you know, a, a very short period of time compared to the overall campaign length. But just have a think about what the situation is, which is what we call our determine phase. So that's looking at what the competition are doing, where the client's positioned, you know, really a, a proper situation analysis. And then look at who you're trying to influence and how you can influence them, which we call the focus stage. So that's really looking at things like personas you're trying to attract, customer journeys that these personas might follow, and uh, the sort of messages that would you know impact those people. Mm-hmm. Um, we then have an execute stage. Obviously, that's really important. The most important stage is to do the work. And lastly, we look at the the you know this deliver stage or the execute stage. We look at that as being very tightly linked to um, analysis results, so the enhance. And typically what you're doing is you're looping around very, very quickly. And it means we can sometimes be quite brutal about ourselves. We can look at a campaign and say, no, I didn't achieve the results because Mm. we've been so specific on what we want to achieve that, that there is no question as to whether or not we actually met the goal. But the great thing is if you know for sure whether you hit the goal or not, you can definitely plan to uh, fix the problem during the campaign and you can make sure your next campaign is better. Yeah, absolutely. Well said. Yeah, I think <laughs> Dominica and I approach our agencies the exact same way. Exact you have to way, yeah. step mm-hmm. back, take that breath and say, you know, what are we actually trying to achieve? Yeah. Because if you don't, mm-hmm. you're just executing from day one, well, Look at the, I mean, that's a mess. <laughs> yeah. you, you don't yeah. even know what you're going after. And, you know, if you're starting an agency, I think that's a, a really good approach, uh, thought process and approach to have a very good model. I'm very appreciative that you talk about messaging as well, because I feel like that's something that many agencies, you know, I'm scrolling through Instagram and I see ads everywhere and that piece seems like it's missing. And that's something that I'm constantly coming back to. It's like the messaging is so, so important. And yes, it might take a little bit longer to get the result we're looking for. But yeah, if we take a step back, take a breath, like you said, have a think (laughs) and then actually execute, then yeah, I mean, the client is so much better off. And so are we, right? As the agency, we've positioned ourselves in such a way where it's like, okay, now we are the authority because we've done the research and done what it takes to actually get the result. So reading through your website, I was like, I like him. We can be friends. <laughs> this is fantastic. I think it's it's a bit of an agency secret, but if you actually do that and really understand what's going to make a difference to the client, you can end up looking so much better as an agency. You know, we see we see agencies that just take chase clicks. And you know, the client will get so many clicks, maybe more clicks with a new agency, and they'll look back and they say, but our business hasn't changed. And suddenly you're six months into an engagement with a client and, and the client's questioning almost everything you do. Whereas if you've really understood what the client wants, you're talking about the metrics that matter to them. And, and to me, that that's that's really the important thing about thinking about what to do first. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Let me ask you this. How do people select the right marketing technology? See, that's that's a great question. I think that's the wrong question to ask. Oh, um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I'm sorry, but but to me, a lot of people start with the technology, and that's the wrong thing to do. And I think what people need to do is make sure they can execute the right campaigns. And so, you know, the example we give as a, as an agency. Previously, we ran our website on HubSpot, and HubSpot is amazing software. And I mean, they have the most amazing, almost cult-like, but we actually realized that HubSpot wasn't really 
doing what we wanted to do. And we moved to another product, a lesser known product called SharpSpring, which for us was just the perfect fit. And I still think today, if you benchmark, you know, marketing automation systems and you look at HubSpot, you probably go, do you know what? That That is pretty much out there as a, you know, for, for an agency, the best system to run. But actually for us, it wasn't. You know, what mattered was getting the campaigns right, executing those campaigns. And so it's not just about the tool. It's about how it fits into what you're trying to achieve, how it fits into your different workflows, what other tools you've got. So I think it's much more about thinking about things holistically first, rather than, again, diving into which tool should you buy. That makes perfect sense. In just talking about the technology piece and strategy and tactics, why do you believe that people shouldn't specialize in tactics such as PR or digital marketing? Well, that, that's a great question. And it's a, it's not actually an easy question to answer because obviously some degree of specialization is important. You can't be an expert at everything. But what we've seen is that if you build an agency or a, you know you build an internal marketing department around these specializations, you've got people whose job is is basically to encourage everything to be done by PR or everything to be done by search advertising. And so you've got all these, these little groups all effectively trying to pitch their technology against each other. And there's no one really who's able to say, well, PR is better than Google Ads because PR isn't better or worse than Google Ads. It's different. And so we really believe that, you know, trying to, to force these, these really definite specializations actually means people just just to get blinkered and they're just focused on what they want to do. And it doesn't encourage a campaign that works as a whole. There's lots of little elements all running on their own and, and it doesn't really work as a whole. So we try and move away from talking about these tactics. And whilst we'll have people who have, you know, some degree of specialization, the model we kind of talk about is T-shaped, where people have, a, you know, a really deep level of knowledge in a certain area, but they have very broad knowledge as well. So they can understand how what, what they're doing impacts the rest of the campaign. And to me, you know, that's important. If, you, if you're just focused as a specialist, you don't see how you're impacting the rest of the campaign. It's not going to be effective. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've experienced that, right, Rory? Just with our different team members and trying to put all the pieces together. It's a lot. It's a lot to navigate. And if everyone's not on the same page and considers themselves just so focused in one area, yeah, it can be... I think, more detrimental to the overall campaign, in my opinion. At least that's what I've seen. We're actually recruiting at the moment. I spoke to someone today who was a, a, a brilliant candidate. Hopefully this won't go out before she she hears back from us. But um, she, she was an amazing candidate. And she asked us about the role because we're, we're looking for someone to predominantly focus in digital, which is about as specialist as we get, and someone to predominantly focus in PR. And she, she sort of said, you know, so, so this is just digital. Is it? I said, well, no, you're going to do some PR and you're going to do some display advertising and you're, you're going to learn all elements of the business because, again, it's really important to understand that context. So she's not going to be a specialist if she stays in the digital role. She's not going to be a specialist in PR or display advertising. You know, that's not the intention. It's that shallow T-shape, but very broad that I believe is really important. Yeah. In terms of you being the leader, I'm... I'm just I'm just hearing hearing you talk and and feeling very inspired by the things that you're saying. I, I want to ask, and this is a little off the topic, but I want to ask in your leadership role, what do you do to inspire company culture? Do you have like regular team meetings? What's something that you do that would be specific for Napier? Well, 
thanks to COVID, that's a little bit different to what it used to be before. So we've we've not always done a great job on company culture. And having been an engineer, you know, I, I come from a, a background where you know, you really like the hardware stuff. That's good because that always does what it's supposed to do. And the software normally does what it's supposed to do. But the people, they're a bit scary. You know, Wild it's, it's like they, they do all sorts of things. So we, we've always tried to do um, different things to build a team. You know, we, we had a, a ladies cricket team once, which was uh, great. They went out and played a tournament. It's fantastic. They did incredibly well as well. So that, that was, you know, that was fun. But COVID really killed those face-to-face events and, and actually... In the UK, we're, we're now about 15 months in to being told we should try and work from home if we can. Mm. So because we want to look after people, we've actually had everyone working from home. So we've now gone to the more virtual kind of approaches. So a big thing in, in the UK is pub quiz. So it's an excuse to go drinking is because you're going for a quiz. It makes it sound educational. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so we, we've got Friday afternoon pub quizzes. And we're doing those every other week. Next week, apparently got a quiz on penguins, which I, I have no idea how I'm going to do. But anyway. Oh my gosh. Um, <laughs> so random. But, I love it. We're running out of topics now, but we've also, we have two informal calls a week as well that are just the start of a Tuesday and a Thursday. We'll just talk about stuff and it could be, it could be anything from, you know, what business we've won recently or where we've been successful. The Tuesday calls tend to be a bit more serious. And then the Thursday calls tend to be a lot more fun. It's getting towards the end of the week. So last week we we're telling jokes, which was great. And, you know, we've got one, one guy, Ed, who's one of our associate directors. I think he believes he's a stand-up comic. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> I'm just waiting for him to to tell me that uh, he's actually now got his own tour. He's going off and wow. you know, he's not going to work with us for six months. But <laughs> at least that's what he imagines anyway. <laughs> well, you gave him the platform. I'm sure lots of good content to go off of there. He's, he is actually a very funny guy and he was, oh, he was great. It was really entertaining. So, so, I mean, it's a lot of this sort of stuff we're trying to keep you know, people like working with people they like. And the only way you're going to like someone is if you see their their personal side as well as the business side. So we're trying to expose that. It's not easy. It's not easy. The good news is, is that as we begin to get out of COVID, things are, are looking a bit better. So um, being British, we're, we're thinking about organizing a barbecue and we've got a couple of dates in June. And if anyone's in the UK, I'll let you know because anyone in the UK will know it's guaranteed to rain those days. <laughs> Oh, that sounds like fun, though. See, you you have great company culture. What are you talking about? <laughs> sounds fantastic to me. <laughs> yeah, pub quizzes. That sounds yeah. excellent. <laughs> I mean, I mean the main the main thing about company culture, in my opinion, is to hire great people. Yeah. You know, and, and that sounds really crass, and it, it sounds like I'm saying that because I want you know people to think, oh, you know, he's a nice guy, really. But no, actually, you just hire people you want to work with because, generally speaking, if you want to work with them, other people want to work with them. It's it's a really easy approach. Very well said. That is the secret to hiring. Do you want to work with them? (laughs) Because if you do, then it's probably going to be a good situation. I could say a lot about about working with people you want to work with and people you don't want to work with. (laughs) But I don't know if we want to go down that road. (laughs) Yeah, we've had we've had some sour grapes in the bunch for sure. But lessons learned, right? Like those are the mistakes Mm -hmm. you make. Lessons learned, and then you look out for those things. Like, yeah, it's the one of my greatest mentors once said, it's it's not so much about who you hire, it's about how long it takes to fire. So if you know that you've got like a sour mm-hmm. grape in there, you got to just get them out as fast as possible because that can be toxic. Turn into bad wine. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, ab- absolutely. I, I think, um, 
you know, if you think about it's just about who you hire, you're imagining you're perfect at hiring. And I don't think anybody is. So, you know, and, and it's important to say that the people who don't work out in your business are not necessarily bad people. They just don't fit your culture. And the culture's not owned by the management team or the owner or anything like that. The co- culture really is how people work together. So it's about fitting people into that culture that's important. It's not about trying to force a culture that none of your employees want because it will never work. Thank you yeah. for saying that. Yes, that's a very good reminder. In your opinion, what are the pitfalls of growing an agency through acquisition? Yeah, so we've we've had some challenges with acquisitions, and I think most people do. I, I was talking to one of our clients, and they'd just done a huge, I think it was like a $700 million acquisition. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were doing a small three-person agency. And, and we talked to them at the time, and they said, yeah, you say, the thing you've got to remember is that actually... The amount of work for an acquisition is pretty much the same, no matter how big it is. And they said, you know, three people, it's just really, you know, it's, it's not enough. You're, you're not going to make a big enough difference. And actually, as it turns out, that that was a really great acquisition to, to make. And it gave us a, a foothold into a new market. And it's taken us a while to really build on that. But I think now we're really strong in the market. The problem with acquisitions is, I think, the the feelings of the people who are being acquired. Um, mm. it, it's always very difficult to deal with that. And it's always very personal. And I think understanding how they feel and understanding their perspective is really hard because you've, you've not met these people until pretty much the acquisition closes. And to me, that that's the biggest challenge. And maybe that's something I've not done very well in the past is really understanding their point of view. We've assumed it's one thing and it's been another. And so integrating those people into the business therefore takes longer because we've not understood the, you know why they're concerned but you know i i mean we've done that we actually acquired a company nearly three years ago that was about the same size as us which was really challenging because you know you've got the dynamics of two different companies working together and it's taken us a couple of years to get there but you know you talk now and that there's no real difference or dividing line between the two two sides of the business even though physically we're located in different places people see themselves working together and you know when you you talk to people about who they want on their team it's not i just want people from my side of the business it's actually you know they want to pick people for their specific you know skills or ability so that has taken time and maybe that's another pitfall of acquisition is is it actually takes a very long time to make those acquisitions work and so underestimating the amount of time and effort you've got to invest is, is a real problem. And again, something, you know, I've very definitely done. Do you mind if I ask how many companies you have acquired? So we've tried to acquire a lot. We've actually acquired two. Well, actually three, I guess, including Napier, which was the original acquisition. What was your thought process about acquiring these companies and how you thought it would help you with your business? So in both cases, it was primarily related to market access. So as an agency, it's always difficult to jump from one industry to another. And particularly when you're an agency whose specialization is defined by the industry. And so if you look at us, I mean, we talk about being a B2B technology industry, but I'll be completely honest, if someone in a a med tech company came to us, it's not that we wouldn't pitch, we'd just be honest and say, look, honestly, we're not the right agency. We don't know how to, to work with companies in your sector. So accessing new markets requires either you to hire somebody in as a senior level or to make an acquisition typically. I mean, you you can sort of creep across with, you know, adjacent industries, but it's quite slow and quite difficult. So that was the primary reason. Um, 
And the more recent acquisition was also around really strengthening our skills in content development. So when I talked about not siloing activities, actually what we talk about when we, we look at you know different parts of marketing is content development and content distribution. So what you're going to create and how you're going to get it in front of the audience. And Napier was really strong in that content distribution. And the uh, agency who acquired Armitage was really, really strong at the development side. So, it, you know, it was a good match and it also gave us access to some new markets. And as I say, we made a lot of mistakes during that process, but, but it, it's turned out okay. I mean, the pitfalls are imagining that it's going to be quicker or easier or simpler, but that doesn't mean that it's not going to be successful. And having acquired two companies, knowing that going into it, obviously it's turned out pretty good. It's turned out pretty well. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we, we've got a business that seems to be going well. We've got a, an absolutely fantastic team. And as I say, you know, the, the teams are very well integrated, you know, and we're seeing people really buying into the whole agency and, and really valuing, you know, people wherever their, their origins are. It's now, it, everyone's now part of Napier. I think that's great. Something that you had mentioned when you were filling our application was you wanted to speak about how to market to large enterprises. And I'm, I'm wondering, is that is there like a strategy that you have involving that? Or is that just something in general you wanted to, to touch on? Well, I, I think this is a, a really interesting question. As I kind of hinted in the past, I'm not sure as an agency, we've done it very well. Mm. Um, for our clients, it's something we've always done. I mean, we've always worked with big enterprise clients. So we've always been helping them get into very large customers. You know, that, that's what they care about. But I think as a, a small business, sometimes it's very easy to get put off by the complexities of a, a large enterprise. And you look at it and you just think, you know, that they, they employ 150,000 people and they've got 3,000 marketers. And as an agency, I want to you know, get in there. How do I start? And actually, I think the answer is that you start one person at a time. And, and it's just like any other marketing process. It's about finding the people you want to reach, reaching those people one by one and influencing them. And to me, that's really interesting. And, and I actually saw us, you know, doing it incredibly well for clients and then trying to do something that somehow managed to get all 3,000 of these people to know about us at once. And, and it, it clearly didn't work. So I think it, it's, it's a really interesting process. Now, that's not to say you don't have to deal with large companies, bureaucracies and purchasing departments and, you know, all, all of that, which, which if people have dealt with it, they'll know can be very painful for a small company. But that's always secondary. The first thing is building up your contact base, building up individuals who are support, you know, and, and I've got other friends who run agencies and they, they'll talk about massive wins and, and you'll say, well, how did you get there? And I said, well, someone in our agency knew someone who knew someone who was, you know, a junior at this company and we'd had a chat with them and they were really keen on what we, and, and you know, six months later, we got to talk to the person who made it. And, and I think enterprises are really interesting because they're incredibly complex, but at the same time, it's incredibly simple. You just build those relationships and build a network. And so to me, that's, that, that, that to me is a fascinating part of, of marketing is trying to work with what is such a complex organization, but having to break it down into simple steps. Yeah. It all comes down. I mean, Rory and I preach this all the time for all of you listening. <laughs> it's building relationships, not transactionships. 
We have a yeah. whole episode around <laughs> that and just how successful you can become when you are so genuinely building those relationships and networking, not just a quick handshake and a business card. I mean, truly, truly connecting with, with individuals. And, and like you said, you can quickly speak with the decision maker. You know, it's, it's amazing how much further we get when we are building those relationships. I, I totally agree. And I mean, if I look at it with some of our clients, you know, that they'll even um, be working with people who are engineers and their hobby is engineering. I mean, being an ex-engineer, I understand that. Most people kind of think it's a bit strange, your hobby is your, your work. But engineers often go home and build little projects themselves at home, and it, it's really common. And you'll see clients supporting those little projects. And then six months later, you know, the, the engineer's back in their business saying, you should use this product. It's great. I've used it for this. The engineer loves it. They feel confident about it. And actually, the business loves it because they've got someone there who's bringing in a technology that they already understand. So the risk is very low. And, and it's, just, it's just interesting that these little bits of just nibbling away at, at those, those large companies are the way to, to really make success. Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So other, other than building relationships, then how do you win clients as an agency? So that's, that's a great question. We actually had a conversation about this recently, and it's, it feels in a way almost embarrassing, but our number one source of clients from our proactive marketing is our news. And it, it sounds like something we should have been doing, at, frankly, just before the dot-com crash is sending an email newsletter. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it feels like that should all have, have died away. But the newsletter is the number one source. And I've talked to some other agencies who said it's it's equally important. And I think it's because as an agency, you're selling a professional service that has an incredibly high switching cost. So, you know, having been on client side, I've known that switching agencies is incredibly expensive, not in terms of money, but in terms of your time, because you've got to go from someone who knows and understands your business to someone who doesn't and get them up to speed as quickly as you can. That requires a lot of investment. It, it usually involves some mistakes as well, but it's really about that training investment. So it's really hard to hit a potential client at the time that they're ready to take that cost on board. And there could be lots of reasons why they're ready to do it. So obviously one reason is their agency screwed up, but that's a negative reason. That's not actually the most common reason. The most common reason is either they have a problem they need solving and they need some outside support or they're doing so well, they really want to ramp up and their current provider can't do it. And as an agency, it's almost impossible to know when that's going to happen. Hmm. So it's so important to keep in contact with these companies and newsletters actually work really well. And we spend, I mean, we spend a lot of time on our newsletters. So we do research around some of our markets. We, you know, I've had other agencies tell me that we are by far the best source of what's happening to journalists in particular markets. And they read our newsletter every week. And you kind of think, I don't really want to be helping the competition, but you were very nice about it. So that's okay. But but we spend a lot of effort on it and it, and it definitely pays off. I mean, it, it's our biggest source. The The next is probably SEO. Mm-hmm. And it, it's difficult to know how you, you'd rank the two. And we've spent a bit more effort on SEO recently and actually seen SEO become a, a bigger por- portion of the, the inbound business. And then there's referrals. I mean, we also have target lists of clients. And I'm sure some of the companies are on our target list know because we, we're very persistent about you know trying to talk to them. But it's about 
you know, really picking those companies and being very, very select. Because if you try and and do outbound marketing to, you know, 2,000, 3,000 people, it's, it's just bland outbound marketing. And okay, it might work, but the chances are pretty low because trust me, there's another agency doing better than you are. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're, you're putting 80% effort in. Trust me, there's an agency putting 100%. Whereas if you've got a, a list of 10 or 20 companies and you think if I could just work with one of those as a new client every year or every other year, you can then put 100% effort in and then you can win the business. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The big fish. <laughs> Focusing it, on the big fish. It's the big fish, but it's also remembering that, you know, anything less than 100% is not worth doing Absolutely. because because there will be somebody else who's putting in that effort. And it doesn't necessarily mean they're a better agency than you. It just means they're trying harder. Hmm. Good advice. Good, good, very good advice. Very good food, food for thought for people who are trying to go after all of these different clients. Like, well, take a better look at what you're doing. There's always going to be someone out there doing it better. And that's just the reality. Mm-hmm. Timing, timing is a big part of all of this, like you said, and I can appreciate that you have so much research that goes into these newsletters. And yes, it's potentially helping the competitors, but the more value you are gifting and giving away, hopefully comes back a thousand times fold, right? Because you're providing that value. No, absolutely. I think that that's really the case. Focus is so important in marketing. And, And one of the things we've done and one of the things actually that I would say is a mistake early on is we we pitched for almost any opportunity that came our way and we lost more than we won by far mm. because we were pitching for things that honestly, if I, I was the, the client, I probably wouldn't pick Napier. Interesting. I mean, we, we could do the job, but we wouldn't be the best agency. And we've tried really hard to be more selective in what we pitch for and actually turn down more pitches. And I, I you know, I've got this amazing business development manager and I talked to her and I said, well, you know, we need to increase our rate of turning down opportunities mm. because that means we can put more effort into the ones we go after and they'll be the best ones for us and they'll be the best fit for the client as well. Yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh, this has been such a fun conversation and I just appreciate all of the value you're sharing and all your knowledge. And you actually have a free gift for our listeners. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. So we've just put together an ebook, and basically what we did was we sat down and we thought about how can we help our clients look really smart in meetings? And one of the things that really helps, I think, is by using marketing models. And so there's all sorts of different marketing models and people are probably aware of the Boston Matrix and you can talk about, you know, different things there. But there's also some um, other models and there's a couple of models in there that we've actually developed and made. So we have an ebook that is the 15 marketing models that you can't live without. And I'd love to offer a, a cast iron guarantee, but it's, it's a promise with cross fingers that if you actually get a copy of the book, the next time you walk into a meeting, you'll be the smartest person in that room. Excellent. Best place to find it because actually it's so new, nobody else is, has got access to it yet, is simply to email me. So um, if you want to email me directly, mike at napierb2b.com, and I'd be more than happy to send a copy out. Yeah. Wow. Exclusive for BPB podcast listeners. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you again so much yeah. for your time and for coming on the show. Not a problem. Thank you both. It's been such fun. I've really enjoyed it. All right. That's it for this week, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.